0: I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I'd like to welcome everybody to a new episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Uh, Today is going to focus a little bit on healthcare communications, interoperability, the things we can uh, do to improve that. Our guest is works at the White House, but I'll wait to introduce her in just a few minutes. First, I'd like to tell you an interoperability story that's circa about 1998. I had the opportunity to go to Kazakhstan two years in a row for three weeks on medical mission work, and it was extremely rewarding. Um, the healthcare over there was not good, but interestingly, it was completely interoperable. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So the first day I wake up um, completely jet lagged and we walk to the clinic that I'm going to be working on with my team. And there's a line and the line's probably got 75 to hundred people standing there waiting in line. And I asked, what are these people waiting for? And the person who's my translator and the leader of that group said, they're waiting for you. So I had a little moment of a little sweating and a little oh my goodness and what are we going to do here and thank goodness I had a team of nurses with me which helped an extreme amount but here's the interoperability part so we started in and I uh, we opened the doors to the clinic and the first patient walks in and presents me with a deck of cards three and a, you know 3 by 5 cards could be one could be 20 but this person had probably about 15. And I said, what in the world are these? And my translator said, those are her medical records. I said, oh, well, that's kind of nice. So we went through those cards and after we figured out what they were and what they're gonna be, we did that ahead of time. So I had information before they actually got to me, but here was this person's complete medical record on a set of three and a half, three by five cards. That told me everything there was to know. Now it could be visit every five years, but basically had diagnoses, some medicines, what injuries have been, things like that. So every person that I saw for weeks had their own medical record in their pocket. And you spin that forth to today and I worked at a very large multi-specialty group practice in Champaign, Illinois, which also had another competing multi-specialty group practice down the road. And we didn't talk to each other, both run medical records, electronic medical records, and we couldn't send anything to anyone. So if we wanted something from the other clinic and we shared specialties, neurosurgery was not our clinic, but the other. And if I needed to know those neurosurgical records, guess what happened? They either got faxed or they were printed and trucked over, both of us sitting on electronic health care. And I thought, boy, <clears throat> this is a problem. And the problem really has existed to today. Uh, with some of the stress on the system from the pandemic, uh, we have found there's holes in how we communicate and how we can transmit data and who needs to see it, when and how. And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today, how that all kind of mixes together. And we do have a very special guest. Um, Her name is Amy Gleason. She works at the US Digital Service component at the White House, currently as project lead for the USDS, CDC collaboration called Prime. After starting her career in nursing, she quickly realized that technology can improve healthcare and spent years building and implementing electronic health records, practice management technologies. Her daughter was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, and her eyes were open to a whole new set of challenges from the patient's point of view, and I can commiserate because I have the same problem with my mother. Before USDS, she co-founded a care coordination company, also gave patients access to their medical records, which is extremely important. At USDS, she has worked with improving data interoperability within the Medicare system, price transparency, provider directories, and now the effort to modernize public health reporting and surveillance tools. Welcome, Amy, glad to have you.
1: Thank you, glad to be here.
0: So, you work for the United States Digital Service. Tell us a little bit about what that agency does.
1: Yeah, so the US Digital Service or USDS is a group of technologists from diverse backgrounds that work across the federal government to transform critical services for the people. So these are mainly people from the private sector that come in for tours of civic duty. Um, you can come for anywhere from a few months to up to four years maximum. And you get assigned to different challenging technology projects, especially where technology meets policy, and work on those projects with different federal agencies. And then through COVID, we've actually also been able to work with states, which has been a new experience working at the local level. But our mission is really to do the greatest good for the greatest number of people in the greatest need. And so we use these small responsive groups of designers, engineers, product managers, and bureaucracy specialists to really work with and empower the civil servants and to bring new approaches and technology to the government and to help modernize their efforts.
0: Well, that's a great mission. That is a great mission and sorely needed. So your pathway into where you are now has some bumps and bits and lots of different directions, like most of us in healthcare IT right now. Um, So tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are.
1: Yes, it has been quite an interesting journey. Um, So I started out in nursing in the emergency room and, um, Quickly, We actually started off with an EMR, believe it or not, even back in the old times, as my daughter calls it, Um, but I quickly realized how powerful healthcare technology could be and went to work at a startup in Nashville, Tennessee, that was an electronic medical record and building a practice management system. And you know, as all you learn in a startup with all the different skills. So I started off in training and doing implementation. I did some support and sales and account management. Um, then I actually got to sit with developers, and they would say, "Hey, tell the developers how you would do this in the clinic, or how this would happen." And I learned the power of designing software, and so it was like magic. I would draw out all these things and tell them all these different requirements. And then I would go home and sleep and I would come back the next day and they would say, is this what you meant? And I'd say, oh, kind of, that's close. Maybe this and that. And then they would just iterate on it. And I thought that was just the most fascinating thing to be a part of. So I really got more into building products. Um, And so I went to work for Medic Computer Systems, which became um, Mises Computer Systems is now Allscripts and did a lot of, I did implementation and product and design work there. And then I went to another small startup in Tampa called Bond Technologies, which was the first browser-based electronic medical record and practice management. And we also did supply chain management for clinics and for ambulatory surgery centers. And that product was sold a few times um, and through Eclipsis and then right back into Allscripts. And while I was working at Allscripts in their solutions management or product management group... My daughter, who was then 11, was diagnosed with a rare life-threatening autoimmune disease called juvenile dermatomyositis. And she went from being a pretty active kid who was a gymnast and cheerleader, and we actually called her the Energizer Bunny because she never stopped moving and really hadn't had very many health conditions Until she started having all of these strange symptoms that we actually didn't realize were related. She broke several bones, but we thought that wasn't so unusual because she was very active in gymnastics and cheerleading and injuries happen. Um, She had headaches all the time. She had stomach aches. But the most alarming thing is she started losing her strength. She couldn't stand up off the floor or walk up the stairs and she lost, you know, all of her tumbling skills. And eventually, we found out that she had this diagnosis only because her doctor sent her to have a biopsy of a rash that she had on her knees and her elbows, and they thought she had um, psoriatic arthritis or lupus. She also had it on her face, but the biopsy came back that she had this um, life-threatening autoimmune disease called juvenile dermatomyositis. And you know, really, it it kind of shook me because. I realized that if somebody had been able to see all of her information over the year and a half prior to that diagnosis in one place, somebody would have said, why is this 11-year-old going to the doctor so much? Because um, it wasn't always, you know, so obvious that they were connected. She had strip stripped throat and a broken ankle. And, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, this is leading to something. But if you had seen the number of visits just in one screen, it would have been a lot more obvious. So she ended up having 11 doctors across six health systems in three states, taking 21 pills a day and getting admitted into the hospital at least once a month for these infusions that take 24 hours. And so I really learned a lot about what it's like with a patient and a caregiver and how navigating the healthcare system is actually a lot harder than even I realized when I was working at it from the provider and the healthcare side. So from there, I actually co-founded a company that helped patients get their medical records and um, have access to those, but also access to control who had access to them. So they could share that with all of their family and friend caregivers that helped them, but also with all of their providers or pharmacists or physical therapists or dietitian or anyone else that's helping them. And then we had care managers that would help them navigate the system. So from everything from making appointments to arranging rides, to finding bubble pack pharmacies to make taking your meds easier, um, anything that we could do to overcome those barriers to healthcare. And then from that company, the technology was sold and the service business was closed down. And I was trying to figure out what in the world you do in life after something so personal. And I learned about the U.S. Digital Service from Anish Chopra and applied there, and I joined that in October of
0: 2018. Well, that's quite a journey, and I can uh, sympathize with that kind of walk. I certainly can. Let's switch to the pandemic a little bit, and you've worked with COVID and the response. Uh, What work were you involved with as far as the pandemic was concerned?
1: Yeah, so on March 12th of 2020, I got detailed over to Dr. Burke's team on the White House Task Force. And, you know, I did a lot of different things mainly surrounding data and technology where in the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, everybody was just trying to understand the situation and gather the data from all the different sources and even things as simple as just understanding how many new cases there were every day in each county and how many people died in each county across the country. Um, it just Figuring out the sources of all that information, cleaning the data, making sure it wasn't, you know, there weren't duplications or different errors in the data, and getting trend lines set up so that people could really understand the exponential growth and where it was occurring. Um, so that's kind of how it began because, in the beginning, mostly every federal agency and then all the states and counties all were keeping their own counts. And so you could get one. Set of counts from the White House and a different set from the CDC and a different set from HHS. You know, they were all very close and similar, but slightly different depending on the source and how they got that data. And so, actually, what Dr. Burks had us do in the White House task force is really to create a team of people and a common place to put the data. It ended up being called HHS Protect, which is a platform where all of the COVID data could come in together and it had pipelines where you could bring in data from multiple different sources, even if they came in different formats, and it could translate those into the final resting place in the database. It also had ways to alert different quality triggers so that a quality team could review them and make sure they corrected them if there were errors or look for duplicates or any kind of problems. But then I think most importantly, we actually brought in subject matter experts from across the federal government to work together side-by-side every day on the data And so you actually got different perspectives and while you're looking at it to work on that together and everybody kind of brought their unique talents and skills and knowledge and it really made for a powerful um, group of people, but even better data on the other side. So we would look at things, you know, how how you're going to analyze the data, what are the methods you're going to do, how many days lag do you need to have to make sure that it's complete. Um, Is it okay that you have data that changes as it fills in over time? Or do you need to make sure that you pick something that you know it's pretty complete to watch the trend lines? Um, And so we really worked on that data system of building out not just the data pipelines and the data, but also a whole set of analytic products that really drove the federal response. And one part of that that I was really proud of was called Project Greenlight. And that really took in a lot of the data, whether it was case data, lab data, hospital data, a lot of the supply tracking data, staffing needs, and that generated a list of things to follow up on. So any kind of data that looked like it might be troublesome, like a hospital that was running out of beds or that they were having a shortage of a specific supply or they didn't have enough staff. And there was a team of data specialists that would reach out to the hospitals or to the state or local um, health department depending on the situation and find out what the local ground truth was going on around that is it something they already had under control is it something they needed help with and then those requests would get funneled into the federal system that manages when states have needs. And then they would evaluate and be able to send staff if we had things or help them get staff or staffing contracts or find supplies, notify the manufacturers that there was a shortage and get extra supplies sent to an area or from the stockpile, or even to help be ready to build alternative care sites. And so um, that tool really allowed not just daily reports and situational awareness, but actually action that was delivered every day during the response.
0: And now we're looking at a whole host of variants coming out and how they are tracked and how important that is to actually addressing the virus itself. Um, So, I mean, that data is so important in how you can get that right picture of what's going on. What is, especially talking about variants, what's the most prevalent variant right now and how are we going to address it? Do the current vaccines actually address it? So, There'll be, you know, there's breakthroughs, but still we need to track, are we actually making the same inroads with the vaccines we have available based on everything that's coming in? And as we found out, it's a constant changing picture. This, this virus is notorious for doing what it does, which is mutating into something else and having to track that and making sure that we got that response out there. So we're not caught behind that eight ball.
1: Yes, actually, and one of the biggest projects that led to mostly what I'm working on now, um, we actually did what U.S. Digital Service calls a discovery sprint last May of 2020, where Dr. Brooks really asked us to figure out um, what we could do to help the state public health departments have the data they needed to drive the action, because they're really the ones that are taking all the action on the ground. And so a discovery sprint is really a three week deep dive into a specific problem or hypothesis to try to figure out what you could do about it from a technology or policy perspective. And so we traveled around the country last May and June when everybody else was staying home. We were, you know, few people on a plane. We went to hospitals and health departments and labs and drive up testing centers and nursing homes and tried to understand the data flow and where things were falling apart and how it could be better. And we really discovered that the systems that were in place that were there and were fine for kind of everyday average public health needs. And, you know, if you were only getting 10 cases of something or one case of something a week, it was fine. But when they started getting thousands and thousands of cases and lab tests coming in and um, the public health usually doesn't get negative results, but because COVID, you needed to understand all the asymptomatic spread, it was important to get both the positive and the negative results reported. And so just the sheer volume overwhelmed the systems and the processes that they used. And then there were so many new senders to public health. Instead of just hospitals and doctor's offices, there were these drive up testing centers. Nursing homes were testing their staff. Um, You know, jails were testing them. Employers started testing it. And so it really just became this massive increase of new people collecting data and reporting data to public health as well as it was a changing situation. And so the data that you needed to know, such as your variant example, um, things change over time. You need to be able to rapidly get out the changes so that you get the data that you need. And so that's really what led to our collaboration with the CDC that U.S. Digital Service and CDC are doing together that's called Prime, that we are working on helping to improve that process and make reporting from both traditional like hospitals and provider offices and non-traditional like schools and employers and nursing homes be able to report into public health easier and in a more complete and accurate way.
0: And that's important to get that information once it's collected back out to the people who can use it, uh, like clinicians at the point of care and things like that. Um, when you were traveling around the country uh, looking at this, what kind of barriers did you see to that data reporting and interoperability? as you were trying to figure out, we need this information, we got to put it somewhere, then we got to send it out to someone else. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Right, so I touched on a few of these, like the new sender. So for example, we talked to a lot of people that had stood up, Testing centers and they had absolutely no idea what HL7 was or what a CLIA number was or any of these things. And they were trying to figure all that out in the middle of a pandemic and trying to rapidly stand things up. And so the process to add new entrants into healthcare and public health is not a very easy one. We also found that there, you know, were point-to-point interfaces from everybody to public health. They had thousands of people managing these connections for. So if they needed to make one change to what they were asking for. They had to validate that across thousands of point to point interfaces instead of having, you know, one hub or something that the data comes through. Um, There were new reporting requirements all the time and things changing, um, a lot of unclear definitions. So I found this one firsthand of as you start to try to collect data, such as when we were collecting hospital data, you sit and work with a team of people and try to come up with the most clear definitions you can and think through all the details. But as soon as you send it out, people have all kinds of questions that you never anticipated or interpret words in a way that you wouldn't have thought about. So um, it became really important to give a lot of examples and to do FAQs and webinars and try to really get out the word on what those definitions were and to make sure everybody had the same definitions. Um, there were also multiple versions of the data. So um, one of the interesting things I thought we learned in our sprint was that um, as electronic lab reporting came in before that, really most reports to public health were from the clinicians. So doctor at the hospital or doctor's office were usually doing a paper form back in that day of you know, I have a new case of this and filling out all the details of their past medical history and the symptoms that they had and the course of whatever they knew about it and sending that to public health. But when electronic lab reporting came along, which was a good technology invention, the labs didn't have all of that same information that the clinicians did. So you started to get much faster and more reporting of public health, but you got less detail. And so these the public health department then has to do all these investigations. They had to do investigations anyway, but they had to do a lot more before they could even get to the investigation they needed to do just to fill in a lot of the data gaps. So there tended to be you know, a case report and a lab report and different phases of the data. Um, and then you'd have it at the local level and you have it at the state level and then you have it at the federal level. And you know, all these different versions of the data can sometimes be difficult to figure out and to um, deduplicate and to understand. And then you know, deduplication itself is a, a big challenge. Sometimes labs would report directly to the state and directly to the federal government, or they might report to the local and the state and the federal government. And so you can end up having duplicates and you have to have strong deduplication logic. And that was definitely a barrier.
0: Well, it's been interesting to see the improvement from the start of the pandemic and the lack of real information to now which is, it's much more accurate. You can tell on a daily basis on multiple websites, including the CDC, exactly where the country stands. And it, I think that gives people a sense of relief when they know what's out there and how it's doing what it's doing. Um, to know that your state is down to uh, less than 10% positivity rates and things like that. People understand that. And it gives them a sense of, of calm and knowing that we're gonna get through this and be better on the other side. And then let's talk a little bit about that being better on the other side. You probably learned a lot working with this, I can imagine. So what were some of the successes? I mean, I commented on one, we've got really good data now that's starting to get better and better every day. So what are some of the other successes you had in rolling out? and the current administration been very successful?
1: Yes, so um, as I said, one of the big successes is actually just figuring out how to have that common federal data source of truth and having that in HHS Protect, not just for all of the federal use, but that data is also available to all of the states and the locals so they can also see that same data, whether they need to access it because they don't have it or just to see what the federal government has and find errors and tell us where something might be missing or begin can resolve disputes. Um, so just having one common picture where everybody can see the same thing makes it a lot easier to take action and work forward. So that was definitely a huge success. Um, and, and as I said, people working together on that, I think was a fairly really new way of dealing with Um, emergency response in the federal government you know usually things are so much more regionalized the regional staff or different people work on on challenges but because this was so far reaching and so broad across the country it really took everyone working together on a team and created a lot of processes that can be used in the future as well. Um, uh, One of the big successes is that in march of 2020 we didn't have any data on how the hospitals were doing there was no system that reported to the federal government about that how many beds were full how many beds were available supplies how many new emissions you had how many discharges you had how many deaths you had at the hospital um, a lot of that kind of data so it was you know a lot of chaos back in march just because that's never been something the federal government has collected the states have collected it at different varying levels but and especially states that have like hurricanes and natural disasters, they were already used to kind of collecting that kind of data but a lot of states were not. Um, And we took that data from 0% in March to 99% of the hospitals reporting the required data elements every single day of the week. And so you have a really accurate set of data there that you can understand what's happening. And I think a lot of this really created a blueprint for how we go forward with emergency response, whether that is a hurricane or a bad flu season or something like a COVID. Um, I think it's really given us a lot of tools on how to work together on systems that are needed, on how to stand up data systems quickly, how to improve the quality of them, how to publicly release data. We released a lot of public data files and learned a lot about how to do that. so many different things that were learned for the future, as well as, you know, things that we needed to do to be more prepared. So some of the projects that came out of that sprint that we did um, that we're working on with the CDC and the PRIME project, as we call it, which is Pandemic Ready Interoperable Modernization Effort, PRIME. Everybody got to have your acronym. Um, But that project was also to start to try to address some of the challenges that we saw, and those have been really helpful. So, we have a project called Simple Report that's a web based tool that's free to anyone that's doing any kind of testing for COVID. Like, schools are a big use of that, um, nursing homes or assisted living centers, employers. Uh, arenas and things that are starting to do testing now um, have to have a test result to come in, um, those kind of systems. So it's just a simple web browser for any kind of point of care test that you're doing a rapid test that you, it manages the workflow. So you can put people into the queue, manage their test results, store those results for your history, but then it automatically also reports them to all the public health agencies that need to have that data. And then to address the point to point interfaces, we created a product called ReportStream, which is a data hub that's also free to senders and states. And so that allows a healthcare sender to send their data in whatever format is easiest for them, whether that's a CSV or whether it's HL7 or Fire, if they're more sophisticated, to send that data in. And then the ReportStream product takes that data and transforms and routes it to all the different needs to go. So as an example, if I get to an a county, that county needs the data the state needs the data and then i might be a resident of another place like we see a lot in the dc area someone might live in one state or territory and um you know get tested in another and so it actually knows all the places it needs to go and gets it to all of them and that really allows one of the bigger barriers you know you see in interoperability is everybody moves at a different pace and healthcare moves pretty slowly in general for healthcare interoperability, but this allows people that are ready to start sending in Fire, and people that are newer need help to still send in a CSV, but the health department gets it in the format that they want on the other side, whether that's Fire or HL7 or CSV or whatever they want to get the data in. And so it allows us to continually move people along without, in the past, you know, we've done a lot of everybody moved to this version of HL7. And then five to seven years later it's like we finally get everyone there this allows a continuous path of movement and then the third part of that project is called data automation which is really providing technical assistance to the different centers and the states to just give them manpower to help do that so taking different labs and hospitals or doctors and connecting them into report stream helping get the data out for them, and then helping the state public health department or the local get the data into their system. So those are some um, big successes as well as we start to modernize that effort.
0: And I'm assuming because you've done it the way you did, meaning take it as you can take it, uh, it's much more broadly accepted than it would have been of here's all or nothing, do it my way or the highway. So that that was that's brilliant to be able to do that and also scrub it so they can come back out with, some type of usability going forward. So we're kind of coming up on the end. And I always ask every guest this question. If you had a magic wand and could wave it and change anything in healthcare IT, what would it be?
1: So I think the biggest thing that I would change is kind of similar to your story you told in the beginning, is I would make sure that every patient always has access to their information and that they're in control of where it goes in the system. So, I like to think in the radical terms that the patient record actually is at the patient. And so instead of the provider having the chart where they hold it and lots of different charts, have there be a patient chart and the provider adds a record to the patient's record. Um, So not maybe three by five cards, but an electronic version of that where you almost get that at birth and you can have that for the rest of your life and people add to your chart instead of the other way around.
0: I think that's a great wish. And I hope someday that comes to pass. Amy, this has been a great conversation, and so timely and so needed. And I appreciate your work and what you're doing. And I I wish you continued success in that. So Amy, if someone wants to learn more about all of the things you've been doing, like the Prime Project and all of the software interoperability things that you have created uh, at the federal level, how would they do that?
1: Yeah, so first, our usds.gov website is the United States Digital Service website. That's a great place to start. We have a lot of information about our projects and how to contact us. Also, the Simple Report has a site, simplereport.gov, and the Report Stream product has a website that's reportstream.cdc.gov. So that's where you can learn a lot about those specific projects. And then personally, I'm also on Twitter at The Patient Side, and also you can find me
0: on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Amy. It's been a great conversation. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about MediComp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MediCompSys or myself at Doc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.